I'd like to begin my message today by giving you a summary of the biblical account that we're going to hear about in 2 Kings. It involves the besieged city of Samaria. It involves a large army from Syria. It involves a donkey that's missing his body. It involves Ben-Hadad, the king of Assyria. It involves Jehoram, the king of Israel. He was the son of, if many of you know, Ahab and Jezebel. It involves an unnamed servant of the king of Israel. It involves a prophet named Elisha. It involves a small group of men who had leprosy. And here is the summary. If you take notes, here's the main point right here in two lines. Faith expects from God what's beyond human comprehension. I want you to hear that. Faith expects from God what's beyond human comprehension or human understanding or being able to wrap your mind around it. Faith expects from God those things that you can't even get your mind wrapped around. And those who cannot find it in their heart to take God at his word forfeit the benefits of his promises. I want to say it to you one more time. Faith expects from God what's beyond human comprehension. And if you can't find it in your heart to take God at his word, you forfeit the benefits of his promises. His promises are still true. You'll see them with your eyes, but you won't eat of them. You won't taste of them. You will not partake of them. You'll stand back jealous and envious of others when you can't take him at his word. That's really this message summarized. We serve an awesome God. You need to hear this. He's actively involved in our lives. When you spend time thinking about him, he's literally awe-inspiring. I want to declare to you today that he's up to something big in our midst. I believe that's a word from the Lord, that God is up to something big in our midst. Look to the person next to you. And say, God's doing something big in my life. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Notice this next part of the phrase. Do you not perceive it? He's saying, don't you see it? Don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Well, let me tell you the story. Then Hadad, the king of Assyria, brings his entire army and lays siege to the city of Samaria. This siege lasted so long that people were starving to death. They were running out of food. Food was so scarce that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. And A half pint of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Some commentators say that this was some type of seed pod. Other people say that it was dove's dung that was used as fuel to cook over. And then there's also perhaps the idea that people would pick through that and eat any undigested food that remained. But whatever the exact detail, it was a horrible situation. But it gets even worse. You think that's bad. I see some of your faces. You're like picking through dove's dung. Oh, 
it gets worse. Can I say this to you? Sin always gets worse. You think it's bad. It's funny. People are in a bad state. They're living for the devil. They've surrendered their life to him. They think it's bad. Friend, it can always get worse. And it does. The king's out and he's taking a tour of the area. He's examining what's going on. He's walking along the walls of the city. And this woman yells out to him. And the king's reply to her, she yells out to him and he replies to her. She says, you know, king, help us out. And he's like, well, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? What he's saying is he's saying to her, honey, there's nothing left. I don't have anything to give you. And he's frustrated, but then he, it's almost like a moment of compassion, I guess. And he says to her, what's the matter? Tell me what's going on. It turns out that she has a dispute with the neighbor lady and she wants the king to intervene. And she thinks he'll intervene. And so she starts to tell him her story. Now listen, you know how hungry we are. You know how desperate we are. The neighbor lady, I can't believe her. She came over and talked to me yesterday and we made a deal. Here's what we said. Yesterday... We cooked my child and ate him. Today, when it was lunchtime, I went over to her house and she was supposed to cook her child and we were going to eat her child today. But she took her kid and hid him. You have to do something about this. She wasn't sorry that she had eaten her child. She was upset with the lady for trying to preserve her child's life and keep her child alive. And when the king hears this, he just goes ballistic. Hearing her come and saying, we ate my child yesterday, and now she's trying to hide her child away, make her give her child to me so we can cook him and eat him. That's literally what the woman was saying. It's not right. Make her bring her child here so we can eat him. Chapter 6, verse 30. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. And as he went along the well, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And he said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, The messenger came down to him and the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. And notice this phrase, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Let's go back to the beginning. Upon hearing the woman's complaint, the Bible says that the king reached his breaking point. He tore his robes and when he did so, it revealed that he was wearing sackcloth. Now, you know that wearing sackcloth was typically a sign of mourning or of repentance. But his response is not really the response of someone who was truly repentant. He wanted to kill the prophet Elisha. 
You see, Jehoram was the, who was Jehoram's dad I told you earlier? King who? King Ahab. And Ahab's wife was who? Jezebel. And they were very big into the worship of Baal. And they led God's people away from the Lord. Jehoram, if you look at history, Jehoram tore down the sacred stones of Baal. He tore them down, but he led the people into another form of idolatry, the worshiping of the golden calf. And Jehoram reminds me of the person who kind of makes deals with God. The one who gives up some of their sinful life, but holds on to another part of their life. The person who's outwardly trying to negotiate with God and I'll give in to you on this area, God, but I'm going to hold back a part of my life for myself. He reminds me of the person who picks and chooses which of God's commands applies to him and then gets frustrated when it doesn't work out. Do you know what I mean? You'll see people like that. They don't really surrender their life to God. They'll give a part of their life to God. They'll surrender a part of themselves. They're half-hearted. They're divided. And then they get mad when things don't go good. If you're half-hearted, it cannot possibly go well. It doesn't work. The cool thing is, have you ever noticed that when a person is in a place of decision, how patient and gentle and gracious And long-suffering the Lord is with them. The Lord just doesn't pull the trigger real quick. When a person is in that place of decision, you'll see that. You'll see God intervening in their lives again and again. God giving them another break. God giving them another chance. God giving them another opportunity again and again. And that's kind of the way it was with Jehoram, as it were. It's kind of like the person who says, look, God, I'll accept you. I'll even go to church once a week. I'll follow you, but I, you know, listen, I can't stop sleeping with my girlfriend. I kind of like her, but God, I'll follow you. I'll go to church probably about three times a, a month. How about we make a deal? I'll go to church three times a month, but God, you know, don't be messing with me and my girlfriend or the woman who will say, God, I'll serve you, but I need a man in my life. I know I'm not married, but I need somebody. You understand God. And so God, I'll serve you and I'll give up certain things, but don't ask me to give up my man. Don't ask me to do that. The person who says, yeah, God, I'll follow you. I'll read the Bible and I'll pray. I'll give up certain habits, but don't ask me. You're crazy. There's no way I'm giving 10% of my hard-earned money to the church. You're nuts. The king said what a lot of half-hearted people say. They said, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Why should I put my trust in God when things aren't working out the way I want them to? Why should I depend on him? Because evidently the prophet Elisha had told him, don't surrender. God's going to come through. Don't give in. And he comes to a point, he says, why should I wait for God any longer? And oftentimes people are at that place in their lives where they're saying, why should I keep trusting God? He was partially repenting. He had on his sackcloth. It was underneath his robe. It's a partial. He's making a stretch toward God. He's moving towards God somewhat. And Elisha said this. Hear the word of the Lord in 2 Kings 7. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley 
for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? And he said, You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha. But what does it say? But you will not eat any of it. He said, you're going to see it with your eyes, but you will not eat any of it. See, that's what happens to the person who doesn't take God at his word. When you refuse to trust the word of God, you're going to see it. You're going to see others experience it, but you don't get to taste any of it. That was his word to the people. Somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord today. The crazy thing is, as you listen, you're in a sanctuary like this. And Mike leads us in the presence of God in worship. God speaks to his people. He makes promises to his people. He impresses things upon your heart as you're worshiping. He reminds you of the things that he's already said to you. When God says he's bringing you out, he's bringing you out. When God says, I'm going to take you through. I guarantee you, he is taking you through. You better buckle up. He's on the move. When he says that he is Jehovah Jireh, he doesn't have to scream it. He doesn't have to yell it. All you have to do is hear that word. Or when you read that word and it pops out to you where he says he's Jehovah Jireh, he's your provider. Friend, you can take it to the bank. What God is looking for is people who will believe him when he speaks. The prophet delivered a word from the Lord. He said, tomorrow, it's all going to be over. When you hear the word of the Lord, friend, you and I, we need to believe it. The king's servant doubted, and so Elisha pronounced judgment upon him. He said, you're going to see it, as I said before, but you won't eat anything of it. I believe this. I believe that God's deliverance, that his breakthrough is near for somebody. I wish that in the spirit that you could see how close his deliverance is, how close the answer is. I pray that God will open your eyes that you could see it's right there for you. There's some of you, it is right there. It's right in front of you. The thing you've been praying for, the thing you've been waiting for, the thing you've been asking for, it's right there. But he's asking you to believe him for it. Don't give up now. You've come way too far. You've come way too far to doubt him now. As we take a minute, as we recount his faithfulness, again and again, he's never failed us. Again and again, he's come through. Again and again, he's answered our prayers. Well, there were four lepers that lived outside the city gate. And they depended upon the kindness of the people from the city to survive. People in the city are starving. They're starving too. They live in a desert area. And so they decided that if we stay here, they were realists. If I stay here, we're going to starve to death. If I go over to the enemy, to the Arameans, they might kill me. Or perchance, they may give us something to eat and we can survive. Either way, I'm dead. Some people would also suggest that they may have been a little skilled in their thinking and And instead of going directly from Samaria, they may have walked out a ways, came from another direction to the camp, 
And when they came to the camp with the idea of, we'll act like we're just traveling through here. We don't know what's going on. And we'll come and maybe they'll show us some compassion. And maybe they'll show us some kindness. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 5, it says this. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, what does it say? Not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses in a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dust and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left camp as it was and ran for their lives. Now, did you hear that? What does it say that they heard? It says the Lord God had had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. Now, some people think that they were delusional. Some people think that they just heard things. A lot of commentators would even suggest that, that they heard something that wasn't there. But I want you to know what they really heard. Elisha had seen it earlier. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 6, when the spirit opened his eyes, the enemies were surrounding them. They felt hopeless. There was no way out. But whenever Elisha prayed, not only he but his servants' eyes were opened. And what did he see? He saw chariots and horses of fire. And the armies of the Lord that encircled around about them on the city. The enemy thought that they had them defeated. But the enemy was really surrounded by the armies of the Lord. What God enabled that ungodly, uncircumcised nation of warriors to hear. He opened their ears and he opened up their eyes to see the reality of the spirit. Is that there was an army of God. There were horses and chariots of fire that if they did not get out of the way, they were coming to bring judgment upon them. And so what they heard was not a figment of their imagination. What they heard was the reality of the spirit. Friend, you know, here's the thing. People sometimes are short-sighted in how powerful our God is. We serve a God who is mighty and powerful. I want to read a scripture to you. What it says in Deuteronomy Chapter 1, verse 29 through 30. God said to the children of Israel, Do not be terrified and don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, you, someone needs to receive this, will himself fight for you just as he fought for Egypt. I want you to hear me clearly. The armies of the Lord have not gone into retirement. They are not in mothballs. They are not outdated. The Lord himself is ready to fight on your behalf. And here we see this with the, someone should get a little more blessed than that. Telling you what they heard was the reality of the spirit that God said, if these people get in my way, I will utterly annihilate them and wipe them out. And they got so scared. Now you think about it. If someone's coming, I would jump on my horse. Wouldn't you? I'm a chubby guy. I can run, but if I get scared enough, I can run pretty fast. I can run a lot faster than what you think. It's hard to outrun a horse. They got so scared. They saw, they sensed in the spirit the reality of what was taking place. They did not even take time to get their horses. They hightailed it out of there. They ran for their very lives. So these four lepers, 
they go and find, and they go into the tent. They come to the first tent, and there's nobody there. The horses are tied up. The animals are tied up. The tents are empty. They go into the first tent, and it's full of food. have stuff to drink. And they're famished, so they go in, and they go into the first tent, and they just gorge themselves. And then they find that there's gold, and there's silver there, and there's clothes there, and there's supplies there, and blankets there. And they load up, and they run out, and they hide this gold and the silver, and then they go back again, and they find another tent. Now listen, there's hundreds of tents there. They carried as much as they could carry away, and they ate as much as they wanted, and were satisfied, and they come back, and they hit up another tent. But listen, there's hundreds of tents It's not one or two tents. It's as far as the eye could see. The area is filled with tents. And they go and and they take out a second tent. And while they're there, they have this realization. And they said to one another in 2 Kings 7, 9, We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. This verse has been the basis of some of history's most powerful sermons on personal evangelism. We who enjoy God's salvation and experience his grace are not doing right. Those of you who have been delivered, those of you who have been set free, those of you who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those of you who have experienced God's glorious provision are not doing right if you keep silent. You're not doing right if you keep it all to yourself and try to hoard it to yourself. That's the point they came to. We're not doing right if we don't go and tell somebody. They go back to the city and they tell the gatekeeper what they found. They then go to the king, and it's kind of funny is how the fleshly mind thinks. When the king hears the report, he's concerned that it's a trick. The king is afraid, well, wait a minute. Maybe they're just trying to draw us out so they can kill us, so that they can destroy us. Maybe it's a trick. And so they send a small group of people, like a scouting team, and they send them out. And it's not hard for them to find the path. Because as they go out from Samaria, outside of Samaria, the whole way down to the Jordan River, they find a path, almost like when a hurricane goes through and it blows stuff everywhere. There's shirts, there's swords, there's shoes, there's gold, there's silver. All of the things, these people ran. They were so afraid as they're running. Anything that encumbered them, anything that slowed them down, they took off the outer garments, they threw them off. They were not going to be encumbered by anything. They were getting away. Oh, that the church... Oh, that the people of God would throw aside those things that encumber us. See, because they realize it's right behind me. The noise is getting louder. The army is getting louder. We have to get out of here. We got to move. And they found the whole way from the camp, the whole way to the Jordan River. It was strewn with clothes and materials that they had. As we pick up here, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 16. It says this, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel. 
listen to this. According to what? The word of the Lord. Everybody say the word of the Lord. Listen, when the word of the Lord comes forth, you need to grab a hold of it. There's something very powerful about the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God. If the Lord himself should make windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. He refused to believe the word of the Lord. And so he missed out on experiencing the blessings. I want you to hear that. He refused to find it in his heart to trust in the word of God. The circumstances were bad. The situation was bad. But the word of the Lord was good. Listen to me. The word of the Lord is all, it's good. For God's people, when God speaks a word, it's for our good. The circumstances, the situations were bad, but the word of the Lord was good and he could not find it in his heart to believe the word of God. And so he missed out on experiencing the blessing. Can I tell you that the blessing was right there? Can I tell you that other people experienced it? Can I tell you that he saw it with his eyes? Just as the judgment that God had pronounced upon him, he saw it with his eyes, but he did not get to experience it. Can I tell you what else I believe? I believe that God's up to something big in our midst. For somebody, he's going to do it suddenly. Things that we have been praying for for years are going to come to pass in moments. Children that have been away from the Lord for a long time are going to be coming home. Things that God has promised you. The currency of heaven. What moves God's heart when he looks, what does he look for? He looks for faith. He looks for someone who will simply believe him. He looks for someone who will not say, I doubt that you can do it, God. I don't know if you can. He looks for someone who, when God speaks, they say, it's done. I can bank on it. He said he's going to bring me through. He's bringing me through. I don't know what you're talking about. Here was the thing. In Deuteronomy 28, it talks about the blessings and the cursings. And God said he offered these things for him. He sets before us life and death, blessings and cursings. And what does he tell us to choose? He says, I want you to choose life. That's what I have for you. That's what I got planned for you. That's what I have in store for you. But you get to choose. He prophetically, hundreds of years before, God said to them, if you don't follow my instructions, he says, I'm going to paraphrase what it says. It says the very most gentle, loving mom will eat her own kids And the most tender dad, they'll eat their own kids, but they won't let anyone else in the family. They'll hide. They won't share. That's what it says. That's what happened. 
we know that God's judgments are true. If I'm living in sin, I can be assured of this. I can be assured that my sins are going to find me out. That when I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap destruction. There's no escaping it. I know that that is true. But I also know that there's a blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow. And that God has his choice of which he pours out on us. He wants us to choose life. This was Israel. They were in a backslidden state, but even in the midst of their sinfulness, as I said, there was that going back and forth. There was a somewhat turning to God. There was that valley, you know, valley of decision where they're going back. And I see people in that from time to time. And they're going back in between. And even in the midst of the valleys of decisions, God's just pouring out grace and he's pouring out mercy. Let me tell you what his word says he has for you. Why don't you stand with me? He says, if you obey the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 28, I'm paraphrasing it. He said, if you obey the Lord your God, he said, you're going to be blessed in the city and you're going to be blessed in the country. He says, the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock are going to be blessed. He says, your basket and your kneading trough are going to be blessed. He says, you're going to be blessed when you come in and you're going to be blessed when you go out. He says, when your enemies rise against you and come, they will be defeated before you. They'll come at you from one direction and they're going to flee from you in seven. The Lord promises to bless your barns and he promises to bless everything you put your hand to. The Bible says the Lord will establish you as his holy people and all the people of the earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they will fear or reverence or respect you. God promises to grant you not just prosperity. The Bible defines it as abundant prosperity. He promises to open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty and to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. And the Bible says, He says, if you follow him, this is what he says. If you turn your heart to him and follow him with all your heart, that you'll lend to many and you'll borrow from none. The Lord says he'll make you the head and not the tail. And he says, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God and carefully follow them, you'll always be on top, never at the bottom. I don't care how many times you get rolled. I don't care how many times you get thrown. The Bible says that if you follow him with all of your heart, you'll always end up on top, never on the bottom. Now, here's the thing. I know in this room what God wants from you. He wants a sense of expectation. Whenever he speaks that he's going to work in your life, that he's going to do something big in your life, there's this tendency to be like the servant who said, well, even if God opened up the windows of heaven, how could this possibly be? We started off with this, that those who cannot find it in their hearts to take God at his word forfeit the benefits of his promises. Well, I don't know about you, but I need him today. There's some things he's promised me that he's going to do, and I choose to trust him. Some of you, you face some difficult things. It's, it's been a while coming. It's been a hard road. 
I doubt if any of us are in the situation that these people were in. But when God said, I'm coming through, I'm bringing you out, I'm delivering you, I've heard your prayers, I'm answering you, I'm going to show myself strong on your behalf, I've heard your prayers. When God says that, friend, you need to believe it. And I'm just asking you today that as we're in this house, that you'll listen to what the Holy Spirit says. This is not a canned message. I'm saying to you, you listen to what God says to you. What has he promised you? What are the things that he brings to mind? When you open his word, which of those promises, which of those promises pop out at you? I'm asking you today, is there anybody here who would say, I'm making a decision right now. I'm choosing to believe that what God said is true. I'm making a choice and I want everybody to know because here's the thing. Here's what I sense in my spirit. It's now. It's at the door. It's at the door. The answers to your prayers, the deliverance, the breakthroughs, the salvations, the restorations that God has, they're right there. You've been waiting long enough. Don't wait any longer. As a step of faith, can I just ask you this? If the Holy Spirit, if God has made some promises to you, they've been slow coming. But you're ready to say to everybody, Lord, I'm still believing. Lord, I'm still trusting. Lord, I believe that you got an army, that you're fighting on my behalf. I believe, God, that you care and that you're actively involved in my life. But there's promises that God's made to you. They've been slow, but you're ready to receive them now. Can I just ask you just to step out of your pew? Just make your way to the front very quickly. The Holy Spirit, he's made promises. You know he's talking to you. And you're just simply saying, I'm believing. I'm trusting him for it. I'm trusting him for my son. I'm trusting him for my daughter. I'm trusting him for the provision. I'm trusting him for the restoration. I'm trusting him for the healing. Would you just lift up your hands to the Lord and just begin to worship him? I'm trusting him. Lord, I'm betting everything on you. I might look like a fool. I might look crazy, but you promised me. And I'm holding on to your promise, Lord. Just grab a hold of him today. We bless you, Lord. I declare of you today that you're the children of God. You've been redeemed by his blood been purchased if you could count all of the sand on all of the seashores around the world it could not measure up to the thoughts that god has about you and towards you he's got plans for you my friend according to his word there are plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future i declare to you today that god's bringing you out out of depression, out of darkness, out of heaviness, out of debt, out of bondage, anything that's not of the Lord. We declare to you in Jesus' name that the Lord is breaking things off of you in Jesus' name. Now, here's the thing. You listen to his voice because he speaks and you're his child and you know his voice. The promises that he's made to you, the specific things that he said he's going to do in and through you if you ask. Would you just take 15 seconds and remind him and ask him. Tell him you believe in him. Lord, we trust in you. Our hope is in you. You called us to this great work, Lord. 
And we know that you are going to provide everything that we have need of. We know that we're going to lack nothing, that there's going to be abundance in our life. Your provision is more than enough. Your healing is more than enough. Your deliverance is more than enough. Your peace is more than enough, Lord. There's no lack in you. And so I pray, Father, that as expectation rises, Lord, I pray, God, that this week would be a week of breakthrough. I declare it done in Jesus' name. I pray that the people of God in their spirit would hear the sound of the army of the Lord going in their behalf, Lord, fighting on their behalf, working in their behalf, the ministering angels of the Lord, the reality of what's taking place in the heavenlies. Let it be revealed to them even now. And may you give breakthrough in their lives in Jesus name. I pray that next week we be testimony after testimony that before we get home today, that you've already answered prayers, Lord, before we leave this building, Lord, you've already provided Lord, before we can get out of the bed in the morning, our bodies are already healed. Strength and life, Lord. Lord, relationships restored. Whatever the need of your people is, I serve a God who's more than enough. You're the great I am. You're present. You are present in our circumstances right now, and you far supersede them. Not only for us, Lord, I pray for the ones who we're praying for. Our children, Lord, the grandchildren, Lord, those outside of this local church, Lord, that we are love and are concerned about. I pray you'd send a breakthrough for them as well, Lord. Lord, that you would hear the prayers and you would answer and show yourself strong on their behalf as well. Now, Lord, we've made a decision. We're not going to be like those who doubt. We're not going to be like those who shrink back in fear. But we're going to believe you and take you at your word. And we're going to trust you. And we're going to see with our eyes. Not six months from now. We're going to see it, Lord. Not a long time in the distance. We're going to see it, Lord. We're going to see with our eyes. Our natural eyes, Lord, not just the eyes of our spirit. You're going to move us from seeing with eyes of the spirit to seeing with natural eyes the manifestation of the breakthrough and the glory of God. And we give you praise for that. And Lord, we make your promise. We won't take credit for any of it. We'll point everybody that we see. That was my God. My God delivered me. It wasn't my wisdom. It wasn't my planning. It wasn't my understanding. It wasn't my insight. It was my God who heard my cry. And he delivered me. He set my feet on a rock. And that's where I'm going to stay. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Your blessing upon your people, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks, Lord. Hallelujah. I don't, just, I don't want to be weird, but how many of you hear God spoke to you? There's some things that you know he's going to break through on. You know, let me see your hand. You know he's going to do it. Praise God. Lord, we come into agreement with those who have raised their hands. And we agree, God, that you are giving to them the breakthroughs, the answers, the deliverance, Lord, the provision. In Jesus' name, we look to you, Lord. We trust in you. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, 
Amen.